first off, happy Mother's Day to our mothers. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I always joke, we always joke that when you have, whenever special occasions roll around, usually the church that meets in the cafeteria isn't the place that you go for those things. But man, if you're here, I'm so glad that you're here and I'm excited. Uh, what God's got for us this morning and just to, uh, you know, to continue on. Uh, in our study in the book of Ephesians uh, together and really to wrap it up. You know, this is, this is a pretty big deal and I'm pretty excited about it because for us, we're going to be finishing up the book of Ephesians that we've been going through. through if you don't realize that the last, this will be week 15 of our study through the book of Ephesians. And, um, you know, for us as a church, what we'll be able to celebrate is that we'll have collectively completed two books of the Bible together, which is pretty cool. I mean, obviously you could read it a lot quicker on your own, but for us to go through it 15 weeks and to really dive into it and to see what God's got for us in the midst of that, man, I, I love that. Um, and so we've been through the book of Acts. Now we're this morning we're finishing up the book of Ephesians. And I love the way that Paul brings it home in these verses. And I, my prayer for us this morning is that as we see this, we can see this through the lens of everything we've talked about up to this point. And we'll kind of recap it a little bit later on. But, you know, I pray that we just would really allow God's word to speak to us this morning and, uh, and see what he's got for us as we kind of bring everything we've talked about together and we see what he has for us. I'm going to pray really quick. And then we're going to get into what we have this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for every individual that is here this morning, God. And Lord, it's through your grace and mercy that we're even able to gather and to do what we get to do. God, I pray that we would not take this time for granted. God, I pray that we would see the beauty in this moment. And God, we would see the value of your word. And God, that we would just lean into the text this morning, allow it to challenge us, allow it to encourage us. God, allow it to convict us where it needs to. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you and just ask that everything we do would be in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, last year, I was doing a little bit of research, and last year, and, and I'm a nerd, so these things kind of intrigue me. Last year, $88.4 billion was spent on theatrical and home entertainment. That's a crazy amount of money, right? Eighty-eight. $0.4 billion, $40 billion of that, and this is worldwide, $40 billion of that specifically was at the movies, okay? And if you look back at some of the highest grossing movies up to this point, I mean, they're in the billions, two, two billions, almost three billion, some of them. So these, these movies are raking in money, unbelievable amounts of money. On average, a household spends $9,000 a year on movies and entertainment. So we love, we love movies, right? We love to be entertained. We love the stories. We love these, these, these things that are, that are playing out in front of us. And, you know, in reality, they all kind of follow the same formula, right? Good guy, bad guy, conflict, climax, conclusion. And they all kind of follow this, this, this very uh, formulaic pattern. Um, you know, whether it's Western heroes with strength and wit or superheroes with abilities and powers. I mean, they all kind of fall into this mold of these extraordinary individuals accomplishing amazing things, right? And, and in reality, you know, I was thinking about that. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, we relate to people in these stories. Um, but the people that we relate to these stories are different as we get older, right? Because when we're little... Who do we relate to in the story? We're the, we're the heroes, right? We're, we're the people with powers. We can fly. We've got the costumes. I'm Thor, Spider-Man, you know, Batman, whatever it may be. Like, we are those people when we're little. You know, we're like, I'm, I'm going to be that when I get older. I'm going to be a superhero. You know, I'm going to be that guy. But then as we get older, what do we do? We start to realize 
yeah, I'm not that great, right? I, I'm not that strong. I'm not, I'm that, that's, that's not realistic for me. And so we move from identifying with the heroes that we begin to identify really with those who are the victims of the bad guys, right? We begin to be more like, like I, you know, we grow up to be nurses, lawyers, you know, teachers. We're the people that are caught up in the conflict, and so we begin to relate to those people. And so whenever we watch these movies with, with heroes or these people that just have these abilities and all these accomplishments and all these things that they can do, these amazing feats, we, we identify with the victims. And the reason we love those stories is because we love to see victory, right? I mean, just, just last week we were seeing a movie and, and just this moment where this, the heroes just come together and like they're accomplishing this thing that you're just like, that's the moment where you want to stand up and just be like, yes, like that's what I'm talking about right there. Because the, the super, the, the guys who have the strength, the guys who are fighting for the weak, the fighting for the helpless, like they're being victorious and we love those stories. We will pour our money of our time into those stories because we love those stories so much because we like to see victory because, hey, in reality, we want victory, right? We want to see victory in our weaknesses. We want to see victory where we fall short because, remember, we don't identify with the heroes anymore. We identify with the victims. You know, we love the idea of rescue. We love the idea of pursuit of the enemy. We love the idea of seeking out the helpless and, and providing that need. And in reality, church, this is our story. Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are the victims. From the moment we take a breath, we become a victim to sin. We become, you know, the, uh, I work in hospice nursing, and so, you know, the reality is, you know, I'll be having these, if I have this type of relationship with somebody, we'll be talking about it, and i say, well, I'm dying. And I'll be like, well, hey, we're all dying, right? I mean, the moment we take a breath, we, we begin to age, we begin to kind of slowly over a long period of time begin to be weary and then kind of fade away. I mean, that's just the reality of these bodies. But even beyond the certainty of an ending to our physical nature, there is a constant conflict for our souls. There is a constant conflict to lead us, control us, and suppress us that is going on right now in our lives. And that's what Paul, as we get into Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be starting in verse 10, as we see what Paul says, you know, he's going to be telling us that there is a battle going on for you right now. That there is a war for you and for control over you and captivity over you right now. And you know, in everything we've talked about up to this moment, there's a war going on to control those things and to take you away from walking in the way that God has laid out for us. You know, we talked about being a Christian early on in verses one through, uh, chapters 1 through 3, the identity that a Christian has in Christ. And the enemy wants to attack that. You know, the, 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 uh, our identity in our, in our relationships with our wives and our, in our hus you know, husband and wife relationship, the enemy wants to attack that. The unity of the church, the enemy wants to attack that. In our parenting, the enemy wants to attack that. In our work life, the enemy wants to attack that. And so the reality is there's a conflict that is going on around us. And what Paul wants to tell us here, our subtitle this morning, what Paul wants to tell us here is there is a way for us to be warring to win. That he's laid out, that God has, has laid out this plan to be warring to win in our life. Even in our state as victims, that there is a winning, there is a win, there is a hope beyond the hurt for us. 
And so we're going to read, picking up in chapter 6, verse 10. Read with me if you could. We're going to read down to verse 20 and then come back through and see what God's got for us there. Verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So listen, church, the first thing that Paul wants us to recognize is there is a real enemy. There is a real enemy. You know, and, and for us, too often as we walk through life, our problem is a lot of times we don't acknowledge that there is a real war going on, that there is a real enemy there's forces of darkness that is working among us. And listen, if you have ever seen just hate burning in someone's eyes, you have seen that forces of darkness working in an individual. Okay, we think of the most heinous things that happen around us in our world. We see the forces of darkness working in the midst of sin, working in the midst of those things. Listen, there is a war. If you've fallen to sin in your life, which we all have, that is the work of the forces of darkness in your life to drag you away from the call that God's got for you in your life. There is a war going on for you. And we have to acknowledge that. Verse 12 he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against this. And this, this wrestling is a very uh, intimate hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is not a distant enemy. This is an imminent enemy. This is an enemy that is here. This is an enemy that is attacking you from, from, from near you. Psalm 7, verses 1 through 12, it says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending, uh, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. And so he says this isn't a physical fear. He's not afraid of physical lions tearing him apart. He says that these lions, that they will tear my soul apart. You know, the very essence of who we are, to tear it down, to break it to pieces, and listen, to have our souls torn apart would be to, to break us down to our simplest, weakest, most broken form. And that's what the enemy wants to do. 1 Peter 5.8 says the same illustration as, as the lion. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. There is a real enemy with real intentions to destroy your life. We have to acknowledge that. And, and I love that he uses the illustration of a lion here. And, you know, in this idea that he prowls around, you know, when you think about the way a lion attacks its prey, 
That we aren't just being attacked, but we're being hunted. Church, you're being hunted by the enemy. The way a lion hunts is that he stalks his prey. That he can get as close as 90 feet away without being detected. He blends into the surrounding, right? That's the way they're colored, to blend into their surrounding, to be able to hunt their prey. And I love this when I was doing some research, is that they only charge their prey when their prey is facing away and it cannot see. You know, the Bible tells us to be alert, to be sober-minded, to have our eyes, our head on a swivel, because the enemy is hunting you. The enemy is looking for that moment of weakness in your life to exploit. He's looking for that weakness, that moment that you turn your back to attack. Because he's blending in. To, to, the, to everything around you. He's blending into the surroundings. That's why he calls us to be alert. I love this book. It's something interesting to check out. Um, is, is a book by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. I don't know if we've talked about it before or not, but it's, it's an unbelievably interesting piece of work. Uh, what this book is about, this book is written from the perspective of a demon training another demon to tempt humans. To draw humans away from God. And it's a really cool just vision of how the enemy looks to attack us and the motive at which he uses to attack us. And so this little quote right here is written by a demon looking to attack a human who is a believer. This is what he says. He says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. The enemy here is God. He's talking about God. That we are on the enemy's ground when we are dealing with pleasure in a healthy and normal and satisfying form. He says, I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, pleasure is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one pleasure. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take pleasure which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forgiven. Church, that is the lion in the grass. That he said, that, I love that, that the, that the demon says right there, he says, we didn't create pleasure, that God created pleasure, but what we can do is we can lead humans, we can lead people to indulge in that pleasure in ways God never intended it. Listen, the way the enemy does is he comes into our life and he corrupts the good things that God's given us. Our intentions, our, our, our desires, our hopes, our worship. He comes into our lives, our relationships, our, 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 all those things in our life. He comes in and he corrupts those things. And that's how he breaks us down. He uses our pleasure he uses those things that satisfy us to turn us away from God, to distract us, and to attack us. Because like I said earlier, the, the enemy leans into our life to do it in the very specific ways that Paul has spent the entire book of, of Ephesians covering. In our Christian walk, you know, in, in chapters 1 through 3, and who we are as Christians, he wants to attack us there. He wants to exploit us in those areas. In our, in, our, in our church family and unity, you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to sow discord. He wants to use individuals, weak individuals, to, to stir up strife, to cause division, to, to, to be negative, to pull away people. He wants to use those weaknesses to do that. He wants to lean into our marriages, and he wants to look at those places, those little places where there's weakness or where there's doubt or where there's a, an opportunity, just a open, small opening of the door, and he wants to kick the door in and attack us and exploit that and corrupt us. 
He wants to look into our families and he wants to find the weaknesses in, our, in, our, in us as parents. He wants to find the weaknesses in our kids and he wants to exploit that. He wants to use that. He wants to take the pleasures of this world and he wants to corrupt them to draw us to sin, to draw us away from God. And he wants to lean into our work lives, the places that we're at when we, you know, spending our time. And he wants to use us not for his glory, but he wants to corrupt our intentions and to make us pull people away from God. Listen, the enemy has an agenda. And this is a war. This is a battle that we cannot run from. This is not a war that you can pretend like does not exist. Because whether you acknowledge it or not, the enemy is attacking. The difference is, do you have the walls built up? Do you have the preparation? Are you equipped to stand in that battle? Because listen, not only can you not run from this battle, but you cannot stand in this battle on your own. Because the reality is, and the point that I hope I can make this morning, is that you cannot be the hero to your own story. And as Paul moves to this, after he's talked about who we are in Christ... What if Christ has called us to do? How we live out our life in Christ? He comes to the end here in this text and he says, to accomplish all these things, you cannot do them on your own. You know, and I love that the Bible talks about uh, this, this illustration in Luke 11. He says, uh, you know, that for us, that the, our best efforts of cleaning ourselves up isn't enough to be a good defense against the enemy. Luke 11, 24 through 26, he says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of the person is worse than the first. What it says there, I love that, it says that the, that the, the evil spirit comes back to that individual. It finds it swept. It finds it in order but there's no one defending that house and so not only does it come back but it come back, comes back stronger. It comes back more equipped to overtake and it says that the last state, this, this final state, is worse off than the first state because we are not strong enough to defend ourselves against the attacks that the enemy has for us in our life. We are not strong enough. And, and earlier in that verse, if you read it in, in Luke 11, he talks about the strong man. He says that the strong man is fully armed and guards his own palace. And listen, that strong man is not us. That strong man is Christ. That strong man is God in our life that stands and that, you know, we can do all the sweeping and arranging and trying to make things better. Uh, maybe I could just act better. Maybe I could just do things differently. Maybe if I just avoid this person or I quit this job or I do this thing differently, that maybe things will get better. But our problem is not the things around us. Our problem is the stuff within us. Church, we're broken people. We are sinful people that are drawn to sinful things. And we need more than to clean up our lives for that to change. We need an intervention. And Paul begins to move on, and he says, your intervention is the equipping that God has for you. And what we see now, not only do we have a real enemy, but then Paul begins to lay out this wardrobe of warfare that he's given us. All right, The loadout that God has given us to face the enemy, not in our own strength, but in his. Picking up in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Every strategy starts and ends with him. This word to be strong means to be strengthened. It's a process to be strengthened or empowered. 
And this of his might is of his abilities is another way to say that. So really what he's saying there is be strengthened by his abilities, not strengthened by my own abilities, not strengthened by my own religiousness, not strengthened by my own disciplines, strengthened by his abilities. That every strategy against the enemy starts with God. That we start there, that He's the source of our strengthening, and it's His abilities that we rest in. And so He continues on, but we have to understand that this is not a passive approach. That we don't just sit and soak up what God's got for us. That He has called us to a responsibility in this walk. That we see this language over and over and over again in this, these passages that are this active language to engage the equipping that God's got for us. He says to put on, to take up, to withstand, having done all to stand firm, stand, having fastened, having put on, take up, take, praying, keep alert. These are things that we do, church. He's equipped us. Now we need to embrace it. He has given what we need. The Bible says earlier on, He says that He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's provided the way. He's provided the equipping. But are we engaging it? Are we using it? And are we seeing what this equipping can do for us in our lives? And listen, even though God's provided the way, we are called to participate in the battle. 2 Corinthians 10.4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. God's intervention is for our freedom, and that freedom is at the cost of a fight. God wants to set us free. When we are not engaging the enemy in this warfare through his power, we are captives. We are captives. We are captives to our weaknesses. We are captives to the things that we lean towards, whether it's selfishness or whether it's pride or whatever it may be. When we are living, not engaging the equipping that God's given to us, we are falling victim to the captivity of the enemy. We are not living in freedom. Because the only way to walk in that freedom is to be engaging in the divine power of God to destroy the strongholds that have us. And so what does he do? He tells us in action, this is our responsibility. He says, take up the whole armor of God. And so as we look at that, he tells us that this is not a partial taking. That every piece of this armor, and I know you've probably heard this preached before, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, but really each piece of this armor could have its own sermon, but we're just going to kind of fly over it. But I hope that you can see that it's not that we take one piece of this and we apply it into our lives, but he says take up the whole armor. Because like anything that requires armor or equipment or protection, if you only take up parts of it or pieces of it, you leave yourself exposed, right? If you're playing football and you only put on the shoulder pads and not the helmet, you're going to be in bad shape, which they used to do that at some point or another. But I'm sure it hurt. I don't think I could. But if we're not taking up the whole armor, there are parts of, our, of who we are that we're leaving vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Every, every piece provides a vital element for our protection. As we engage the enemy in this warfare, you'll see the different ways at which God atta- the enemy attacks us. You know, that, that, uh, that it's not just one piece, that it's all. And that this isn't our natural state. That we are not naturally equipped for this warfare. But we have to put it on. We have to take it up and wear this armor, this equipping that God's provided for us. And so God has provided seven pieces for us. And that's what we'll see as we wrap up this morning. Seven pieces that we can engage with to be warring to win the battle that we're in right now. 
Seven pieces for warring to win in our life. The first one, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth. You know, when you think about a belt, a belt holding everything together, and we'll kind of see how the belt plays into another element of this armor as we move on, but the belt of truth holding everything together. But the thing we have to realize is that truth isn't only something. Truth is a person also. John 14, 6 says that I am the way. This is Jesus talking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That the truth is Jesus. So fastening on the belt of truth is to fasten on the truth of who Jesus is and that Jesus is that very truth. That as we talked about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that our identity as a believer is in Christ. That my identity is not in my failures, that my identity is not in my shortcomings or my falling, but my identity is in the truth and the truth is Jesus. And so fastening on the belt of truth is fastening on that identity that I am in Christ. That I am, I am defined by Him, I am embraced by Him, and that every blessing in Christ Jesus is yes and amen, and that's where I rest. That first off, knowing I am being driven and motivated by Him, and not by any other truth, but by the truth who is Jesus. That Jesus is that very truth. So not only Jesus is something, but Jesus, what is truth? You know, that after we know who the truth is, that we allow Him to lead us to what is truth. You know, what do we allow to shape what we see as true? You know, we live in a world right now, church, that, it, uh, that, that rests and put every bit of its bet on subjective truth or relative truth. Subjective truth or relative truth being that truth is moldable. Truth uh, changes depending on situation, circumstance, or person. That truth is different. You know, that people would say, well, truth is relative. That truth is individualized. That truth is adjusted depending on the person and the circumstance. But in reality, you know, a culture would say that there is no absolute truth. But what we know and what needs to be said is that to say the statement there is no absolute truth is self-defeating because if truth is not absolute, then the very statement that truth is not absolute is not absolute. So there has to be absolute truth, right? There has to be, and I believe, we believe that we have absolute truth. We believe that God's Word lays out specifically what truth is. And, and I love that Paul starts with this, because if we are not seeing everything through the lens of truth, then nothing else makes sense. Nothing else is held together. Nothing else is in its right place. God is the author of absolute truth. And that's why for us, that Fastening that belt of truth, looking at everything through the, through the goggles and the, the vision of truth has to be where we start. Because it has to be what molds our vision, what molds the way we approach everything. The next thing is the breastplate of righteousness. You know, this is a piece of protection, protecting all the vital organs. You know, and, uh, and, 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 and I think about, you know, when we talk about righteousness, the word righteousness meaning behavior that is morally justifiable or right. And we know that the Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And so it has to be more than my righteousness. And so when we're talking about this breastplate of righteousness, you know, when you think about, you know, these, these movies set back in the Roman ages and all these things, you know, these, the breastplates that they wore, they were kind of perfectly chiseled, right? Uh, they, they, they had the pecs and the abs, and it just, 
It, it wasn't what most of them had. You know, it, it was chiseled and it was perfect. It, the form was perfect. You know, it, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't made up like a melted ice cream or like a dad bod or something like that. Like it was, it gave off this like perfection, like this breastplate was perfection, even if what was under it wasn't the same. And so for us, when we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness that we know that we wear as believers is the righteousness of Christ that is perfect, that covers up our failures, that covers up our weaknesses, that our righteousness is like wearing a paper bag when we go to war, that it's going to break, that it's not going to protect us the way that the righteousness of Christ can protect us, covers our hearts, okay, protects our, our, our everything about what is vital to us, that provides strength for us, that, that, that moves uh, everything about us. And it's in that righteousness that is adequate, not in our own. The next thing is the shoes, the readiness given by the gospel. So this is readiness in action. So he's calling us to equip this idea of, of shoes, this readiness given by the gospel. This is the first offensive weapon that we see. The first offensive weapon that we see that shoes are for moving, that it gets us out and not only to flee or to push back the enemy in our own lives, but to actively run into the lives of those around us to be moving, to not be stagnant, that a Christian applying the shoes of the gospel is, not, is, a, is the very opposite of a Christian that comes and sits and squats uh, in their seats and, and sits in their pews and doesn't do anything. God is calling us to be equipping these shoes of readiness, to be doing something, not only to be moving away from the enemy, but be moving into the lives of those around us with the gospel, with that story of redemption that there is a Savior that came, that died on the cross for my sins, that defeated death by rising again, and that ascended to heaven to seat at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for me and for you. They has called us to be ready with this ability to move and to not be sitting, to not be stagnant, to not ever allow ourselves to be complacent as a church, as an individual, that we are meant to be movers. That we are meant to be movers and the, the, the very thing that we move with is the gospel. That that is what we move with. Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. That how beautiful is that person that shares the gospel with people, that brings peace and happiness into their lives, and, and worships God in front of people saying, your God reigns. That God reigns. That's the, per, that's the readiness that God's called us to. That is our action. The next thing being the shield of faith. This is a piece of not only protection, but of participation. The not only for individual protection. These shields were made almost the body length of a soldier to cover them and to protect them. But these shields were made, if you've seen movies like 300 and all these other ones, they were made to be butted up next to each other with other soldiers, to be interconnected, to be locked in together, to not only provide protection for themselves, but to help provide protection for their brothers standing around them. And so for us, as we elevate the shield of faith, you know, the Bible tells us it's by faith we are saved. That our faith is the very mode at which salvation comes to us. 
And this is what he says. Not only is it for us, but it's for those around us. And it's that act of faith. And he says that the shield of faith is used so that which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know, and those flaming darts of the evil one. And I think about the elevating the faith of shield in our life. More so like remembering the faithfulness of God in our life. That the flaming darts of the enemy are the lies that he throws our way to tell us that you're no good. That there's no use for you. That God doesn't want you. That God has no plan for you. That God has no purpose for you. That God can't save you. That God can't change you. That God can't do anything with you. You're worthless. You're nothing. You have no purpose. And when we elevate the shield of faith in our life, we remember that God, for God, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God came to save sinners. And when Paul said, who I am the chief of, that he says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made when we hold up that shield of faith. That he says that every promise in Christ Jesus is yes and amen when I hold up that shield of faith in front of me. That God is faithful. That the Bible tells us in 1 John that for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. That the, our faith overcomes the attacks of the world. That elevating that shield of faith, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. That active faith. The James tells us that faith without action is dead. That faith without works is dead. That if our faith is not being elevated, our faith is not being shoved forward in front of us, linked together with those around us, then our faith is a dead faith. And that we will fall victim to the attacks of the enemy around us. The next thing is the helmet of salvation. This is a piece of protection, protecting our head. Because where does the enemy attack us the most? The first place I believe the enemy attacks us is the where place he's attacked me in my life. The first place the enemy attacks us is in our mind. In our assurance of what God's done for us, in our assurance of what God wants to do with us. And so I love that he says here, this helmet of salvation, because it's to protect our brain is to protect our mind, it's to protect our thoughts, it's to protect, you know, the Bible tells us to have to be transformed, not conformed, but have a renewed mind. You know, all the he our, our minds, the way we think is vital to our Christian life because it drives the way we act, it drives the way we interact with individuals, it drives the way that I walk as a Christian, it drives the way that I interact with my spouse, it drives the way that I parent my kids, it drives the way that I act in the workplace around me. My mind does that, and so he wants us to wear, apply this helmet of salvation to not only be able to walk in confidence of who God is and the strength of his abilities, but also to be assured of the salvation that he's given to us, that nothing can take, our, can take that away from us. The Bible tells us that when we are in His hands, that nothing can take us away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. But you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to get into your mind and he wants to tell you that everything you do wrong takes you away from the love of God. Everything you do makes you unable to walk in what He's called you to. Because listen, this... This for us... We have to understand that if, if our minds are attacked as a head injury, it's one of the most debilitating things that can happen to you. When the enemy gets a hold of our mind, it is the most, one of the most debilitating things that can happen in a Christian's life. When he gets in and he begins to corrupt everything in there. The next thing he says is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our second offensive weapon. And for us, we have to know that this is our understanding of God. 
that it should be informing our behavior and that our knowledge of Him is our primary weapon of attack against the enemy. That our ability, that our kids' abilities to overcome the enemy in our lives will be based on their foundation in God's Word. That's why we take so serious the things that we teach our kids. That's why we take so serious that, you know, the belt of the, uh, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is held up by the belt of truth. You see where that connection is. With a soldier, his, his sword hung off of his belt, right? And so if the belt of truth is hanging, uh, is holding up the sword, of, which is the Word of God, we have to see how vital those things are. That the Word of God is impacted by the truth of God. And so we have to see how valuable this word is, that we cannot afford to disconnect from the Old Testament. We can't afford to pick and choose uh, between this portion of Scripture and this prophet and this apostle and these letters because they're in red and these letters aren't. Like we can't choose certain parts of the Bible to see as truth because the whole thing is one long narrative feeding into each other, showing us the truth of God's word and allowing it to be the very attacks that we use against the enemy in our life. That if we're not firm in this, that every lie that comes into our life, every attack that comes into our life is going to destroy us. Because listen, the enemy's attacks from the very beginning in Genesis 3, what were they? What did the enemy say? He said, did God really say that? Is that really what God said? Did he really say you couldn't have that fruit? So, so what is the enemy's tactic that we see from the very beginning? To make us question the truth about what God has said. And how, do, how can we know what God said? And He's given it to us. He's laid it out here. Listen, and, and you know what? There may be translations that aren't perfect, but there is context of this book that is perfect. There are doctrinal truths and, 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 and truths and promises for your life that are perfect. 1 John 2.14, it says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Church, to overcome the evil one has to start with the word of God. And the last thing to kind of wrap it up, the last weapon, he tells us in verse 18, he says, be praying at all times. Church, this is the key to our equipping. Prayer is the key to our equipping. And prayer should not be just something we do in preparation. Prayer has to be a posture that we live in. That we are Because, listen, every day we're walking into struggles. Every day we're potentially walking into disappointments. Every day we're walking into potential hurt. Every day we're walking into potential failure. And so this equipping isn't something that I do on Monday, hopefully to carry me through till Sunday. He says to be praying at all times. And through prayer, we are equipped with all of this. That we are leaning in, seeking God passionately in this. To equip us for the battle that is surely around us, that is surely coming. And that if we're not walking into a storm, or just walking out of it, the storms are coming. And He calls us to be equipped. And that equipping comes through praying. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So what do we do in conclusion? For us in Christ, we have to understand that we are not victims. Even in our hurts and our struggles, there is victory on the other side. But that victory isn't won by our own strengths. That victory is resting and being strengthened in the power and the abilities of God. 
allowing him to drive us, to stop being so prideful and say, and, and stop telling ourselves that we've got it all figured out and that we've got it all together and I don't really need God to do this or I don't really need to pray. I don't really need these pieces of armor. I don't really need, I don't need those things. I, I, I can do it or me and my spouse can do it or me and my friends can accomplish it, whatever it may be. But the reality is he tells us without these, these pieces of armor, without this full armor, this whole armor, we are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy and that we will fall. So for us, being equipped as a child of God prepares me to fight the battle. And it is by equipping His power and His ability that we are warring to win. That we are warring to win. And I love the very last verse of this book. He says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. That he tells us that God's love is incorruptible. That God's love, other places says that it is everlasting. That it is all powerful. That it is unchangeable. That listen, this ability and strength that he wants to give and pour into our lives is not determined by your ability or your strength or your, uh, your, your walk or your uh, perfection. He says it's based off of his perfection and that you are chosen because of his choosing, not because of your choosing. That he wants to use you, lean into your life. And that if you would relinquish control, that you would stop putting on your own faulty armor and take up his. That he'll lead you into battle. The Bible tells us that he goes before us, that he stands with us, and that he guarantees victory only in him. But we have to relinquish control. We have to understand our need. We have to understand that we are in desperate need of every bit of protection that He offers us. And that our corruption does not change His incorruptible love for us. That while we were yet sinners, it says that He chose to die for us. That while we were yet imperfect, He gave Himself perfectly for us. That in every way that we would attempt to clean up our own lives, that the Bible tells us it's like filthy rags compared to what He's done for us. And that for us, if we would just let go and say, God, I need you. I need what you offer me to protect me. I need what you offer me to help me walk as a Christian in this world. I need what you offer me to help me be the husband, to be the wife that you need to be. I need what you offer me to be the parent that you need me to be. I need what you offer me to be the church member that you need me to be. I need what you offer me, your incorruptible love. I need that love in my life to be who you've called me to be to walk in the purpose you've called me to walk in. Church, I want to ask you if you'll bow your head with us. And, and just as we finish up, we're going to end and sing just, just a little bit. And I pray that this time could be a time of just worship. That, it, that if, if, if you're holding on to, uh, to, to your own pride, you're holding on to your own abilities, that you would see your need for a great, gracious, awesome, and mighty God that wants to do good for you, that wants to offer uh, this, this protection, this abilities for you. That if you don't see your vulnerability, God does. And He calls us to engage Him in this, to allow Him to equip us to face the battles that He's got for us. Let us pray this morning. Father God, we thank You. God, we love You. Lord, we just want to ask You, God, to... Speak to us in our lives, God. Just, Lord, 
Help us to not be ashamed of our vulnerabilities. God, help us to see that in our weakness, you find opportunity. God, allow us to see that through your word, God, you constantly used broken, fearful people to accomplish the task that you had for them. God, because we know, we know, God, that you have bigger purposes beyond these moments. And God, that you tell us when we are participating in those things that we grab hold of, we inherit those promises. We inherit those riches. We inherit those blessings. But God, we only find that in Christ. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that has not put their faith in you, in your death on the cross, in your resurrection to defeat sin, in your, uh, your, your ascension into heaven to seat on the throne, to be the Lord of lords, the King of kings. God, if there is someone here who has not put their faith in that work, I pray they would do that. God, I pray that if there's a believer here this morning that has been walking in their own armor, God, that they're vulnerable to the attacks of the, of the enemy in their life. God, I pray that they would lean in to your abilities. God, lean into your strengthening and stop depending on themselves to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the church member, to be the Christian, to be the worker that you've called them to be. God, I pray for courage and confidence this morning as we stand and sing that we would be focused on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith and everything you have for us. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church.